There's a temptation that's kind of hard to resist on this great solemnity of the Epiphany to go into detail about all of the awesome details about this beautiful story of our Lord and the approach of the Magi. So, you know, you can look at this and there's just so many aspects to this amazing story that would be well worth, you know, going into and studying. Like I said, I almost want to just spend the next four hours with you going through all of them because it's so fascinating and beautiful. But I'm going to resist that temptation because I know you have to get to breakfast eventually. But also, just because there's other things I want to focus on today, but I will tell you for your own study and enjoyment, um, two sources I recommend in looking into this beautiful gospel from St. Matthew. One, I know it's going to be a big surprise, I'm referencing it one, once again, but I keep listening to The Patrick Coffin Show. It's a podcast, and on episode 106, which just came out in two or three weeks ago, he interviewed a priest, Father Dwight Longenecker, who's actually a priest in our neighboring diocese of Charleston, South Carolina. He's a pastor in Greenville, and he wrote a book all about the Magi, all about this beautiful story. The interview is very good, where he's talking about the details of the book. Obviously, the book is going to be good as well, although I haven't read the whole thing. The other source, I would say it's well worth reading, is Pope Benedict XVI, who wrote you know, a three-part series on Jesus of Nazareth. And the smallest one of them all is on the Nativity. It's a fascinating book, well worth spending some time with. And of course, it's Pope Benedict XVI. He's so good. We'll make sure to put links up to all of that and the show notes for the homily so you can check all those things out. But instead of spending time on that, I wanted to reflect this morning on just sort of what it must have been like to have been the Magi and how their lives kind of relate to ours in a particular way. Because when you look at this, when you look at this story, when you think about all that they went through, all of the grandeur and the glory, I mean, to see the rising of the star that foretells the coming of the newborn king of the Jews, to set out on this big journey, to go through the difficulties that travel would have entailed, to get to Jerusalem, to go to the palace of the king and to ask the questions and to find out that everything lines up, that finding out about the star from where they are lines up with the prophecies that are foretold. There's an actual place they're going to be moving to. And then the great joy of once again seeing the star. And it even says, on seeing the star in the place, they were overjoyed, overcome with joy. So all that they've been through, all of these you know, surroundings, the circumstances of the birth of Christ, and then what happens? They go into the house and they see Mary with the child. Now think about this. After all of that, all of that just fascinating, amazing, spectacular, miraculous stars in the sky and the awesome splendor of the palace of the king and all of these ups and downs and everything to get there, and they saw a mom and his baby. Now, the thing is, you know, we're used to seeing the beauty of the nativity scene and, and, you know, just we have it so idealized and there's all this beauty to it, but when you get right down to it, and you think about everything that they went to, I just wonder what it must have been like to walk in and there's just a mom holding the baby. Now, I think that's obviously, we look at it, we know it's Mary and Jesus, but at the same time, 
it's kind of a domestic scene, right? It's not an over-the-top, knock-your-socks-off sort of a, whoa, can you believe this? But they still responded. What this kind of reminds me of is some experiences I've had. I want to share two of them with you as a priest that I'm overjoyed to have gotten to experience. One is, I know I talk about them a lot, but the Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist up in Ann Arbor. So they have vocation retreats three times a year where they invite girls from all over the world, 15 to 30, to come to Ann Arbor to discern their vocation consistently. They get between 100 to 150 young women from all over the country and even beyond. There was one time a couple girls came from Australia hauling their sleeping bag and their pillow all the way from down under, going all the way up to beautiful Ann Arbor, Michigan in in February, and, you know, go up there and imagine this. This is the way that this retreat unfolds. It begins on Saturday, like midday, in one of the schools that they run very much like Sacred Heart Catholic School. The girls are divided up kind of into groups where they're going to be sleeping in classrooms in sleeping bags on the floor. And, you know, so they're all there. They come in from all over the place. Like I said, consistently 100 to 150 girls. And people ask Sister Joseph Ander, their vocation director, how do you get them in? What's the secret? Why do they all come? And, you know, and I know from firsthand seeing all the joy, it really is like the happiest place on earth. You know, they have beautiful talks and there's some fun games and playing games with sisters is the best. They're totally competitive, but they'll be nice at the end of the day too. So it's this wonderful combination. I imagine that's what board games in heaven will be like, but we'll save that speculation for another time. But there's all this stuff, but what Sister Joseph Andrew always says is, the secret is all night adoration. These girls had the opportunity to go and be before the Blessed Sacrament all night long. That's the secret. That's what brings them in. The other experience I've had that I feel very grateful to have been a part of is we have our confirmation retreat every year. Now, I know from firsthand that for months ahead of time, there's a lot of preparation that goes into that. I've seen Michael Becker lead it and Aaron Brinkley and Chris Beal and all the hard work that they do. And these teams of Belmont Abbey students put tons of time into writing talks and doing skits and they play these games with the teenagers. And here's the thing, too. Just the effort of separating teenagers from their phones for like 48 hours. It's an impressive thing, you know? And yet, every time at the end of that retreat, we say, what was your favorite part? Like 98% of the teens say, adoration. They're always impressed by that time to just be in the presence of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, to just be quiet with Him. Now, The thing that blows me away about both of these is if you look at this objectively from the outside, what are we doing, you know? I mean, what is on the altar, what is processed up in just a few minutes is unleavened bread. And for people to look in on the confirmation retreat who don't have faith, see a bunch of teenagers on the floor, quiet, without electronics, in front of what appears to be unleavened bread. You think about all these girls that come from all over the world to be there in Ann Arbor with the sisters, and the secret? Spending all night with Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. It's not all the flashiness. It's not all the big stuff. It's Jesus literally in our presence, really and truly. And then when you look at the Magi in this beautiful story of the Epiphany, what 
is the center of it all is objectively probably the least impressive part of it all, you know, when you think about it. Now, I promise you, I'm not the Grinch, right? I know I'm always saying during Advent, it's like, hold on, hold on, hold on, we'll get there. And then boom, it's huge. And I love Christmas and I, you know I would do this until St. Patrick's Day if I could. I mean, I love all of the stuff, the presents and the movies and the food and the hot chocolate and the treats. I mean, everything is amazing and I love it. And I'll tell you, I know we're right on the doorstep of what I consider to be probably the most depressing time of year, when we have to do the worst chore of them all, taking down the Christmas decorations. Now, I will say this year, my tree has not started to brown. A, because it didn't go up until like the 21st. B, because it's fake. So, you know, I have two wonderful, you know, helps to me there, so I can leave it up for a while. I'm really excited about that. However, we all know that it's not the stuff that makes it as good as the stuff is. Just like for the Magi. The star, it's amazing. The gifts, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. Who they are. And notice this too. This is why I recommend those sources. Studying, finding out about the names. Notice Matthew doesn't mention their names. But the way they arise, we find out the tradition of the church. The way that scripture and tradition play together. This is one of those beautiful examples of that. But still, today, scripture and tradition affects every one of us. And as we continue to move through time, I mean, today, it's the 12th day of Christmas. We know we're about to move on into ordinary time. But as the stuff starts to go back away, the beauty is, is at the heart of it all, the most important thing, that which is the secret that draws us back, remains in our midst, Jesus Christ himself. Now, to have a, a little gift and on this 12th day of Christmas, my true love gave to me, or your pastor at least, what we got you is a piece of chalk. I know, you're welcome. But you're going to have those on your way out today. And what that is for is a house blessing, the traditional house blessing on Epiphany. Knowing that, you know, the Magi went out and entered the house and saw Mary with the child. Take that piece of chalk, grab a bulletin, and in there I provided for you the blessing for your house. And in the midst of, of saying that beautiful prayer of blessing, you take the blessed chalk and write on the lintel of your door. Someone asked me yesterday, does it have to be horizontal or can I do it the long ways? You do it the way you want. It's okay. You know, I'm not going to demand uniformity where the church allows diversity. So you just do it the way that you want. But this is the great thing. Take that chalk and you write. It's right there in the bulletin. But it's 2-0, then across, C, across, M, across, a little across, not the, the preposition, uh, B, across, and then 19. Okay, 20 and 19, probably, probably obvious, the year. Then the cross referring to Christ. The C, M, and B. Can refer, they refer to two different things. One, the traditional name of the wise men, Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. But the great thing is, it also has another meaning, a Latin phrase, Christus Mansionem Benedicat. May Christ bless this home. Now, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I know that we're all facing that horribly depressing chore of putting away the Christmas decorations. And I realize that chalk on the front door is not icicle lights. However, the beautiful thing to recognize in the midst of this epiphany, this beautiful solemnity, is at the center of it all, Jesus Christ himself. 
what draws us back here time and again, the one who gives meaning to every single day, our daily existence, our home lives, he's in the midst of it with us. And as you mark that on your door, remember that every single day. May Christ bless our home. May he bless our day-to-day lives. May he be with us in the midst of everything and help us who are baptized to become temples of the Holy Spirit to bear that light that enlightens every heart out there into the world. Even though the star begins to fade, even though the lights begin to be put away, even though you're probably not going to watch Christmas Vacation again, still, we know that at the heart of it all is Jesus Christ, who remains with us not just during this season, but every day of the year. May he bless all of our homes, all of our hearts. May we proclaim him in all that we say and do. Praise be Jesus Christ.